Welcome, everyone. We're so glad you're here with us today. Welcome, Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. Glad you're connecting there today. And everybody that's connecting with us online, we're glad you've connected there. Uh, we uh, have experienced uh, uh, early spring, and now we had another dose of winter with some snow and everything. And uh, it's going to warm back up in the, this afternoon a little bit, and then be a really warm week this week. Uh, but the roads were clear around the church building here. We're thankful for that, that everybody could drive in and make it safely today. We are continuing a series of messages called Breaking Bad Habits. And we've got just today and then one more week in this series. And I've, I've really enjoyed looking at all, all of these habits are things that we all deal with, at least to some degree, right? And we all know some people that deal with some of these habits and we may even live with someone. Don't punch anybody. We still, we, we live with people that have some of these habits and we all have to work on this. It's not just, all right, I got that one licked now, no problem, we can move on. Uh, they keep resurfacing. If they've been part of your lives for a long time, I'm not sure what just dinged there, but uh, it's a bad habit. We don't need to keep doing that. So let's, uh, let's work on that one. But we, uh, we are today talking about one that I do believe is pretty universal. Uh, it's guilt. I think from time to time we all struggle with some guilt in our lives. And sometimes we think of that as only a bad thing. I want you to know that it's not always bad. It's just how you respond. It's what you do with the guilt that makes all the difference. Guilt is a built-in emotion that God knit us together to have. Uh, it's there for a good purpose. But we, we make the mistake sometimes of trying to push it out of our lives completely and act like we don't have it when indeed we should have sometimes when we feel some guilt about things in our lives. It reminds me of a man uh, that wrote the letter to the IRS. You may have heard about this. He wrote a letter and said that he was unable to sleep well for weeks because he had uh, lied about his income on his tax return and didn't pay all the taxes that he should have paid. So he said, uh, I've got underreported income. I owe more money. So I'm enclosing a check for $1,500. Then he said, if I can't sleep for the next couple of weeks, I'll send the rest. <laughs> Sometimes we just try to push it down, right? We just kind of uh, do as little as possible to make ourselves feel better and still keep on doing the things that we want to do anyway. And that's not the right response to guilt. Uh, guilt and sorrow and shame, they, they're all cousins. They, they intermingle with each other. They're all related to each other. And, and they're all connected in our lives. So, so I'm looking at that whole category today of guilt and shame and the sorrow we feel for the things that we've done wrong. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 7, I want to start there. There's a passage that reveals to us that there is a good kind of sorrow and guilt, and there's a bad kind of sorrow and guilt in our lives. So let's pick up here in 2 Corinthians 7. I want to look at verse 10. He talks about this Godly sorrow, he calls it, verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But then here he introduces another kind of sorrow. He says, worldly sorrow brings what? Death. Worldly sorrow is what crushes. It's what destroys. It's when sorrow and guilt and shame hasn't been dealt with properly. 
It can haunt you. It can, it, it can cause you not to ever have joy or peace or contentment for very long periods of time in your life. It just, it's like this haunting thing that's always there when you don't deal with it in the right way. But godly sorrow is different. Godly sorrow is what leads you, he says, it can bring you to, what's that key word there? Repentance. You see, repentance is the proper response to guilt and shame and sorrow. He doesn't even say you should never feel guilty about anything. That, that's, that's not true. He says the guilt that you feel, though, the sorrow that you feel should lead you to take the action that God wants you to take. And that action, in God's view, is to repent, to turn, to seek forgiveness, and to be restored. That's all a process of repentance. Over in the Old Testament in Proverbs, the, uh, the writer tells us about the emotional toll that guilt and sorrow can take on us. In Proverbs 28 and verse 13, he says this, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. You see, there's a process that we need to go through with guilt and shame and sorrow where, where there's an acknowledgement, there's a confession, there is a renouncing of the bad thing, okay? And then he says there can be this refreshing that takes place, this, this joy that comes with knowing that there's forgiveness and there's grace and there's mercy and there's a new start. It's a, it's a beautiful thing, but you don't get to that if you hide the guilt or you respond incorrectly to the guilt and the shame and the sorrow. You can't get to the joyful part if you don't process it in the way God wants you to process it. So today we're going to look at four steps we can take in response to feeling this guilt or this sorrow or shame in our lives. Four steps that are the right way to deal with that. And the first step is the most obvious to us as Christ followers, but it's not so obvious to everybody else out there. And the first step is to accept God's forgiveness. It's offered. It's freely given. It's available to every single person out there. And yet so many people either don't know that or they've been taught something different about that or they just refuse to take that step because of pride or whatever going on in their lives. They are not willing to come before God to seek forgiveness because to seek forgiveness means to confess something to be forgiven for, right? You can't seek forgiveness if you're not willing to admit, to confess that there's something wrong. There's something that shouldn't be there. There's something going on that should not be going on. There's decisions that have been made, actions that have been taken that are contrary to what God would want for us. You have to be willing to tell the truth about that if you want to get to the place of accepting forgiveness from God. Our culture has tried to do some different things with guilt. Now, it's not just our culture. I want you to understand, historically, this has been the pattern of human beings. It's not just something new that we started doing recently. But throughout the course of human history, people have tried to deal with guilt in a different way than the way God says to deal with it. Instead of seeking forgiveness, what they have really worked hard at doing is convincing themselves that everything's okay, even when they feel the guilt. 
He says, I shouldn't feel guilty. Uh, you know, that's just my lifestyle choice or my choice of how I'm living my life. And, and, and I'm just as good as anybody else. You know, we go through that whole process of comparing and all of that. And I'm a good person. And we try to convince ourselves that everything is fine. But deep down, there is something in us. And God put it there that causes us to know everything's not okay. We, we actually, if we're willing to allow ourselves to do it, have this built-in sense of wrong that God made us with. Now, we can try to retrain that. You know, you can train your conscience not to feel bad about things. If you stay consistent with training yourself to believe bad is good or good is bad, you can get to a place where you can kind of convince yourself of that. But deep down, God has made us in his image. And deep down, the image of God reveals to us certain things are not good. They're not right. That's why even in an ungodly culture, they have laws against certain things that they, they've all decided these things are not good. They're wrong. Even though they don't acknowledge it's wrong because God said it's wrong, they still know it's wrong. God put that in us. Now, we can, like I said, we can really work hard to convince ourselves otherwise. And that's part of the way the world teaches us to deal with guilt. Love yourself just the way you are. Don't you hear that all the time in our culture? You're enough. Everything's good. Everything's okay. Now, there's some good to that. Understand that we can get to that place where we are okay. But forgiveness is part of that process of getting to that place. Well, we're okay. When we've done wrong, when we've we come short of what we ought to be, and all of us have the scriptures clear on that, none of us is, is exempt from this. We all have come short. We've all sinned. And, and when we acknowledge that, it gives us then the opportunity to allow God to work his forgiveness in us. And it's a beautiful thing. And it takes a weight off and it, and, and it, it, and it frees us up to know, to experience the forgiveness of God. Over in 2 Corinthians 5, beginning with verse 17, Paul wrote this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Sounds great, doesn't it? Made new, right? The old has gone, the new is here. So he says, in Christ, we can be made brand new. That means the old is taken off the record. Doesn't exist anymore. And he says... Because the old is gone and the new is here, he says, here's the source. All this is from ourselves. Is that what he says? No, it's from God. Here's the problem. We try to do it ourselves instead of accepting God's forgiveness. We try to convince ourselves we're okay, everything's good. We try to, even if we admit something's wrong, we just try to do better and we work on it and we take all the self-help classes and read all the self-help books and the seminars and we make ourselves better thinking that we'll take care of it, but it doesn't make us new. The old is not gone when we do it that way. You see, we don't have the power to get rid of the old. We don't have the ability to get rid of the old. It still lingers there. It's still there. No matter what steps we take, what improvements we make, the old is still there. It's still on our records. It's still part of our past, and we all know it. 
As much as you try to act like we've moved on, as much as you try to act like it's a different life now, that's the old me, it's not the new me, the old me is still there. And he says all this ability to get rid of the old and replace it with the new, this is from God, this is not from you and from me. You see, that's why the acknowledgement of sin and the seeking of forgiveness from God is so important in this process because without that, we don't have any way to accomplish this new life on our own. We just can't do it. We could change some things, but we can't make ourselves new. We can't get rid of the old. He says, all this is from God. Here, here's what God did. He reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, there's a power that we need, a transformational power that we don't have in and of ourselves to make ourselves new, to erase the old and replace it with the new. We can't do that. But God has provided for us in Christ this opportunity for reconciliation. That word to be reconciled is beautiful. It means that the, the sin that's on our record is not just forgotten about. See, that's, that's the problem. We try to act like we could just forget about it and move on. That's not the way this works. It's still there. It's still there just because you said you've moved on. It doesn't take it away. You see, reconciliation is not just forgetting about it. It's it's making payment in full for it. That's reconciliation. It's atoning for it. And you can't do that and neither can I. Why? Because we've got our own sins to pay for. We don't have a, a way to pay for that ourselves. And all the good stuff you start doing, that's good, but it doesn't pay for the sin and the guilt. It doesn't. We sometimes get confused and we think of it like a scale that all the bad stuff's on this side and all the good stuff is on this side. If we can just do enough good stuff to outweigh the bad stuff, right? Then, then we're okay with God. But what's still there? Even with all the good stuff we've done, what's still over there? The guilt, the sin. It's still there. No matter how many good things we put on the other side, the guilt and the sin is still there. So it doesn't take away anything. It doesn't reconcile. It doesn't pay in full for the sin, no matter how many good things we do. So without God's offer of reconciliation and the payment he made on our behalf, there's no way to make this right. There's no way to be made brand new. There's no way for us to be new creatures without the guilt and the stain of sin on our lives. But God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. What an amazing statement of the love of God, of the sacrifice of God. That Jesus came and clothed himself in the human flesh like we live in, 
And he was tempted in every way we are, yet without what? Sin. You see, because he did that without sin, now he can take our place in making the payment for sin. So you can't go back and be that person without sin that can make the payment. You can't. We've already sinned. We've already, we've already missed that opportunity because of our sin. And no matter how many more good things we do, it doesn't take away the sin. So we can't do this for ourselves. But God in Christ made the payment on our behalf because the one who had no sin became sin for us and paid for it on the cross in our place. And that's why only God can really make us new. That's why that's the only way to really deal adequately with our guilt and our shame is to have a payment made in full that takes it off of us and does away with it so that it doesn't exist anymore on our record. And God loves you enough and he loves me enough that even though it cost him the life of his son whom he loved, he was willing to do that for you and for me. And what we have to get to the place of doing is understanding our need for that so that we can accept it. You see, if you don't know you need something, if you won't admit that you need it, you're never going to accept it. It's only when you're willing to confess your need for this payment on your behalf that you're going to be willing to accept that payment on your behalf. And so we've got to get our pride out of the way. We've got to confess our sin before we can receive God's payment on our behalf and we can be freed from the guilt and the shame of our sin. First John 1 John 1.9, he said this, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, I like the way he put both of those elements in there. It's not just Saying, all right, I'll forget about that. No big deal. No, it's more than that. He purifies us from all unrighteousness. He, he sees us now in Christ as having his righteousness. And, and that's the key. Because we don't have a righteousness of our own to stand on. Because we've all sinned. When we stand before God in judgment, we, I don't want God to see me and my righteousness because my righteousness, it says in Scripture, is like filthy rags compared to his holiness and righteousness. I, I can't stand before God in my righteousness. Neither can you. We need his righteousness. We need to have the cleansing and the purification that only God can provide for us. So the, the way to deal with, if you're, if you're struggling with guilt and shame and sorrow in your life, and all of us do from time to time, I mean, we can all think of stuff we've done wrong. We can all go back and talk about the regrets and the what ifs and the only if I hadn't done this or done that. We can, we can beat ourselves up forever with those things. And God never wants us to live like that. That's what the cross is all about. That's what the gospel is all about. That's what the good news is, is you don't have to do that. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to play that game when you act like everything's okay when you know deep down it's not okay. You don't have to play that game anymore. You can confess the sin knowing that God is right there with his love and his grace and his mercy. And here's the thing, the payment's already been made. All you have to do is accept it. Receive it. It's already paid in full. 
when you're willing to accept that, then you can deal with the sin and the shame and the sorrow and the way God was willing to sacrifice so that you could be freed from it. That's the way you deal with sin. That's the way you deal with shame and guilt as you allow God to make the payment on your behalf for you. Now, here's the thing. To act like you deserve that in some way, you're just piling sin on top of sin. You don't deserve it and neither do I. I've done nothing to earn that. I've done nothing to justify God doing that for me. I, I, I haven't been, you know, some kind of stellar person that, that God said, oh yeah, I'll do that for Randy. Now these others I won't do it for, but Randy, because he's been so good, I'll do that for, no, I didn't earn it and neither did you and neither did anybody else in the world, but he freely offers it to anyone who would receive it. That's the amazing thing about God's love. He freely offers it to every single person who would receive it. And sometimes we're guilty of thinking that we deserve it more than somebody else does. And friends, that's just not true. The wages of sin is what? Death. And we've all done what? Yeah. So I'm not as bad as that person. Have you sinned? What are the wages of sin? Death. So you deserve the same punishment that person does. It's not a matter of earning it, being worthy of it. None of us is worthy of what God's done for us. That's the amazing thing about God offering this to us. He's offering it even when we don't deserve it. And I'm thankful he does that because I don't have any other hope. And neither do you. I have no other hope except that he would offer it to somebody who's unworthy of it, who doesn't deserve it. But because he does that, I have the hope of grace and forgiveness and mercy. I have the hope of sin being taken away, taken off my record, removed so that I can be free from it. So the first step is to accept God's forgiveness. The second step, I've labeled it this way because this is the term we usually use. We have to learn to forgive yourself, right? You have to learn to forgive yourself. Some people say, well, I know God forgives me, but I just, I can't forgive myself. And friends, that's simply not a true statement. That, that, that can't ever go together. What you can't do is accept his forgiveness. That's what you're saying. Because here's the thing about forgiving yourself. You can't forgive yourself. You don't have the ability to forgive yourself of your sin. If we could forgive ourselves, would we need God? Would we need Christ? Would we need the cross? Of course not. You can't forgive yourself because you've sinned and you owe the debt. You're the one that owes the debt. You can't forgive the debt you owe to God. Only God can forgive that debt that you owe to him. So you can't forgive it yourself. And I know what we're meaning by this. I know what we're trying to say. But we need to understand the reality is we cannot ever forgive ourselves. We are totally dependent on accepting the forgiveness of God. And forgiving yourself is really just saying, I'm willing to accept God's forgiveness as full and complete. Just like he says it is. That's what we mean by forgiving ourselves. That's really what it is. It's finally saying, God's taking care of this and I'm so grateful I don't have to forgive myself. I don't have to do anything else. It's already done, paid in full, over and done with. There's nothing to forgive myself of if God has forgiven me. 
because he's taken it off your record. If God does what the Bible says he does, you have nothing to forgive yourself for anymore because it's not there anymore when God removes it. See what I'm saying? It's, it's a misunderstanding to think we're going to forgive ourselves and that, and that our problem and our struggle with guilt is that we can't forgive ourselves. That's not the problem. The problem is you haven't accepted God's forgiveness. That's the problem. It's like we're saying, God, I don't believe you really are going to do what you said. I don't believe it's really gone. I don't believe you can do this for me. Maybe you've done it for other people, but not me. I'm just too war. I did too many bad things. I just failed too much. And you can't do that. For You're accusing God of not being able to do what he promises he'll do for you when you say you can't forgive yourself. That's what you're really doing. Just admit you can't forgive yourself, but you can be forgiven by the God who paid for this sin for you and took it off your record. You see, when you accept that God removed it from your record, you're free and clear. It's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. If God did what he said he was going to do. So for you to keep carrying it around is to act like God didn't do what God said he would do. You're acting like God's not faithful. That the price he paid on the cross wasn't adequate for you. That what Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection really didn't satisfy your guilt before God. So the problem is not forgiving ourselves. The problem is accepting his promise of forgiveness. Either he does forgive you or he doesn't. And if he does, there's nothing to forgive yourself for anymore. You can let go of that because God's already let go of it. He's already removed it. It's already off your record. I love what Paul said in Philippians 3 about his life. Now, remember, Paul had been Saul. And as Saul, what he had done was persecute Christians. And not only did he persecute them, but he had some of them executed because of their faith. Now, he's carrying that around, right? If anybody had a load of guilt to carry, Paul, Saul, was one of those people. And he was made aware of that when he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? And, and, and he told him to go into the city. It would be told what he would be done. He went into the city and there he met a man that God sent to him who said, now what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So Paul had to make a decision. Did Jesus do that for him or not? Because if he didn't, he's going to carry this guilt the rest of his life. But if he did, he can move on with his life and live a new kind of life. Paul has to make a decision. What does he believe about what Jesus told him about the forgiveness of sins? Look in Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Talking about continuing to, to be transformed into the image of Christ. But one thing I do, all right, he says, here's what I have to decide to do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, if Jesus really did what he did, and I believe it, I've got to do this one thing for sure. I've got to leave the past in the past. Now he's talking about the good things in his life and the bad. 
the, 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 the earthly accomplishments, they don't count anymore either if Jesus is who he says he is. But also the failures and the mistakes, they don't count anymore either if Jesus did what the Bible says he did. So one thing he says I got to do is leave the past in the past. I've got to press on now with this new life and this new calling that God has for me in my life. I have to let go of the past. And I know I, what I'm saying here, I'm not saying it's easy. I, I, I know it's not easy. Satan is called in Scripture the accuser. And, and his greatest weapon is he will whisper in your ear and bring up every mistake you've ever made, every flaw in your life, every failure you've ever experienced. He will recount those to you in your mind as often as you allow him to do it. So this is not a one and done easy kind of thing because Satan won't leave it alone. He'll keep accusing and keep accusing. Well, yeah, you may be serving in the church, but you remember what you did? You remember how you did this? You remember how you hurt this person? You did that? You didn't do this? He'll keep bringing it up over and over again. And that's where being in the Word of God is so important. That's where being in prayer is so essential. That's where being actively involved in a church family is so essential. Because you, if you don't offset His whispering in your ear with the real truth about things and what God has done for you, then you'll start believing the lies again. And that's His goal. It's to get you to start believing the lies again. That your sin is who you are, not your Savior. And not what Christ has done for you. It's who you are. You're not that new person in Christ. You're the same old sinner you were before. So we have to stay connected and involved and reading the word and, and staying in prayer and staying in contact with our Father who loves us and who sees us clothed with the righteousness of Christ and not a righteousness of our own that will always come short. So he says, I press on to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. In Christ Jesus, I, I'm on a different journey now, Paul says, and I know the outcome of this journey, and I know it because of Christ, not because of me, not because I, I've, uh, I've done these things to get rid of my sin. I know he's done that for me, so now I can press on knowing the prize that awaits me, and you can know that with absolute confidence, too, in Christ. You can know it with certainty that the path you're on now in Christ will take you to that glorious reward that he has waiting for you. And then in the meantime, he's walking every step with you until you get there. And his blood covers you and you're clothed with his righteousness. And when God looks at you, he doesn't hear what Satan's saying. That's a done deal. That's all the record. He sees you clothed with Christ. And that's how you can live without guilt and shame is to accept God's forgiveness. And when we say forgive ourselves, what it really means is accepting his forgiveness. I love the account in John 21. In John's gospel, you remember the apostle Peter? Uh, Jesus had warned them that he was going to deny him before the rooster crowed. He was going to deny him three times. You remember that when Jesus was arrested? And what happened? What did Peter do? He denied Christ three times, just like Jesus said he was going to. And he was grieved over it terribly. But you remember there was another one of the apostles that had done pretty much the same thing. You remember his name, Judas? See, Peter and Judas did the same thing. 
In fact, all the apostles did the same thing. They all ran. They all acted like they didn't know Jesus when he was arrested. They all kept their distance. They all refused to stand up for Jesus when all that was going on. They all really denied Jesus during that time. All of them had committed the same sin. The difference was how they responded to their guilt. Peter was still there. Judas went and hung himself. You see, remember what we started with? There's godly sorrow that leads to life. And there's worldly sorrow that leads to what? Death. Judas allowed himself to grieve with worldly sorrow. And when you let that control your life, it leads you to having your life taken away. You don't have the life God wants you to have if you let worldly sorrow control your life, consume your life. But if you respond in the way God wants you to, to the guilt that you're feeling, it is a godly kind of sorrow that leads you to repentance and repentance leads you to life. I love this encounter in John 21, beginning with verse 15. They've been out fishing. They see Jesus on the beach. They don't know for sure right away it's Jesus. He's cooked up some food for them. He invites them to come and eat with him on the beach there. And, and, and they have this encounter. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, well, feed my lambs. Peter must have been perplexed at first. Don't you know Peter felt really guilty? This is the first time he's really sitting down with Jesus in an intimate, personal way and seeing him face to face and talking to him. And he knows what he's done. He knows Jesus knew what he did. Remember, in the account of Peter denying Jesus, it said after his third denial, the rooster crowed and he met Jesus' eyes. They looked directly at each other. You remember that? Man, can you imagine how Peter's been living with the guilt of knowing that Jesus looked right at him, knowing what he had just done, that he promised he would never do? He said, Jesus, I'll die for you. I'll never deny you. And right then he knew Jesus saw his guilt and his shame and his failure. He saw it face to face. And now he sees Jesus face to face again. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? I bet when he heard that question the first time, it just broke his heart that Jesus would even ask him. Can you fail and still love Jesus? Can you mess up and still love Jesus? Absolutely. We do it all the time. And Peter had never stopped loving Jesus, but he had failed Jesus. You see, you could love and still mess up. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now, what's the big deal? Well, how many times had he denied Jesus? So how many times did Jesus ask this question? Three times. He's giving Peter the chance to say, Lord, I do love you. You know that I love you. And what Jesus is saying every time is, then do what I've called you to do. 
Get busy doing the, living the life I've called you to live. Do the good work I prepared in advance for you to do with your life. You can still be used by God in a powerful way, Peter, because of what I did for you and my grace and mercy is there for you. Peter, you can still honor me in your life and be used in, in, in great and powerful ways. And today we are benefactors of the ministry and the teaching and the preaching of Peter because he he didn't allow the guilt and the shame to define him from that point on. He understood that what Jesus was saying is, Peter, I've forgiven you already. You can still honor me and love me and serve me, even though you've messed up in the past. You're not disqualified. The rest of your life is not defined by your past, Peter, and neither is yours neither is mine. Our past doesn't have to define our lives today or in the future. Not because we've forgiven ourselves, but because he has forgiven us. And if we can accept that, we can move forward doing the good stuff God prepared in advance for us to do. Which leads to the third thing, step we need to take. That is, well, in view of his mercy and his forgiveness, we need to change our behavior if he's willing to pay that price, make that payment in full force, then it should change us. It should change who we are and how we live life from that point on. That's what it did for Peter. Peter from that point on served him and honored him. He wasn't perfect even then, but he knew he was forgiven and he could be freed up to do the work God wanted him to do. But it called for a change, didn't it? Do you know what Peter didn't do after that? When he faced pressure? You know what Peter didn't do after that when he was persecuted? You know what Peter didn't do after that when he was afraid for his life? He didn't deny Christ again. He stood up for him. You see, he made the change that God was wanting him to make in his life. He didn't keep on willfully choosing to sin and live in sin and make sinful decisions. See, that's not perfection, but it's a direction of life that you change. Well, you don't accept and welcome sin anymore. You change and you treat sin like the enemy and you don't willfully choose to go back to your sin anymore. I love what it says in Romans 6, beginning with verse 1. Paul is dealing with some Christians in Rome, this group there that claim to be Christians, that was debating this idea, actually promoting this idea, that if God loves to show you mercy and grace, then, then what difference, shouldn't we just be okay with our sin then? Because it makes God feel good to show you mercy and grace and forgiveness. They were looking for a way to excuse themselves, right? To, to excuse their own sinfulness. And the way they were trying to argue that you do that is, shouldn't we just keep on sinning then so God's grace can be even greater? <laughs> what a worldly argument. In verse 1 of Romans 6, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? You know what his answer is to that? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Uh, don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a what? 
new life, a different life. We don't go back to the old life after we've received God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. We don't willfully choose to keep on sinning. We live in this paradoxical culture that wants God to love us and bless us and do all good things for us, but we don't want to change our lives. We just want to keep on doing whatever feels good, whatever we want to do. And Paul says, that's not the way it works. You don't need to live with guilt, but you also don't need to wallow in your sin. You don't need to stay in that sinful lifestyle. You don't need to keep making, willfully making that sinful choice that you've been making. He wants you to live a new lifestyle, a redeemed life. Another passage says, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. He's not talking about perfection, but he is talking about the direction of the, the life choices that you're making. You start living in a new way where the choices you're making are based on what honors God, what pleases God, what, what allows other people to come to know Christ through us. We make choices based on his grace and his mercy and his love. When, you, when you've received that kind of love, don't you want to honor the person who loves you that way? Who's paid that price for you like that? Shouldn't that be the response he has from us when we understand what he's done for us? is to choose to want to live in a way that honors him now. You see, it's one thing to say, I want God to forgive me. It's another thing to say, and now because of his love, his willingness to do that, I want to live for him. I want to honor him with the way I'm living my life. I want to make choices that are more pleasing to him than the old choices I was making, which leads to the last step, the fourth one, and that's this. Learn from your experiences. Every good thing you've ever been through and every bad thing you've ever been through, it doesn't have to define you today or tomorrow, but it can be a lesson that you learn. You see, when you do it God's way and you receive blessing for it, that's a lesson to learn. God told us the truth about that, so we should keep doing that. But when you do the thing that's outside of the will of God and you suffer the negative consequences and you know you failed and you've messed up miserably, well, that's also something you can learn from. See, what we want to try to do when we say it's been forgiven and we try to put it behind us is we don't even learn from the experience like God wants us to learn from the experience if we just try to forget about it. He's not saying remember it to carry guilt. He's saying learn from it so that you can not repeat it continually. Learn the lessons you were supposed to learn from the failures and the good things in your life. You see, I, I can tell you this is true in my life. I've learned a, a lot of lessons the hard way, haven't you? Man, I've learned a lot of lessons the hard way. I did it wrong. I got the bad results. I learned. I don't want to keep doing that anymore. But I learned. I didn't always learn right away. <laughs> I'm pretty stubborn sometimes. Sometimes I had to repeat it a few times and get it really in my head. Oh, yeah, if I keep doing that, I'm going to keep getting that kind of result, right? But I did finally learn. And that's God's desire for us with the sinful past. 
not to be held captive to it with guilt and shame. But we can sure learn from it, can't we? We can learn some lessons that help us deal with life today better than we used to. That help us make better decisions now because we know that's not the decision we want to make anymore. We know how bad that decision is. We've learned from that. Now we can make a different decision and get better results when we make that decision. You see, it's a process. Here's what I've learned about God. He doesn't waste any failures or pain in your life when you turn it over to him and let him teach you the lessons that he wanted you to learn from it. He can use it for some really good things when you turn it over to him. In Galatians 5, 1, Paul said this, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Satan wants to condemn you by reminding you of the past. God wants you to learn from the failures of your past. There's two different approaches to it. He doesn't want you to go back to it. He doesn't want you to feel defeated by it. He wants you to grow up and mature as a result of it. You see, the, the ideal goal of the Christian, remember, is to mature and grow and be transformed over the process of time, good and bad things in our lives, to keep growing up, to be made more into the image of Jesus. And God has the power and the ability to take every good thing in your past and every bad thing in your past and teach you and transform you when you allow him to forgive you of those bad things to be more like Jesus, to represent him in a better way in the world today and to like Peter and Paul say, I'm not going back there anymore. I'm leaving that behind me, but I'm going to press on and live the life God is calling me to today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that our past does not have to define us today. And in Christ, it has no power or control over us today or in the future. Help us to know that when you say you remove the sin, it's truly removed. And when it's removed, the guilt goes with it. The shame goes with it. The payment that needs to be made for it has already been made in full. We praise you for that, Father. We thank you for that. But Father, teach us the lessons we need to learn so that we don't go back to that again. And help us to have such an appreciation for your mercy and your forgiveness that moving forward, leaving the past behind us, we live the life you're calling us to with your power and your presence and your provision with us now. We can accomplish the good things you prepared in advance for us to do and our past will not ever keep us from doing it in your strength, in your power, in your mercy, in your grace. Father, use us for your glory is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.